edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Sadowska and Secretary of State for the Home Department, and the citation for this case is 2017 UKSC 54. The appellant in this case, Ms. Sadowska, is from Lithuania, one of the member states of the European Union. She came to the UK in 2007 and has lived and worked here lawfully ever since, meaning that she has earned the right to permanent residence as per the Citizens' Rights Directive 2004-38. There is also another important person relevant to this case. Mr Malik is from Pakistan and came to the UK in 2011 on a student visa. This expired in 2013, but Malik stayed on after that point, which is illegal under Section 10 of the Immigration and Asylum Act 1999. The relationship between these two people is the main focus of this case, as they claim to have been involved romantically since early 2013 and then decided to get married in early 2014. The wedding was due to take place in April, but in advance of this date the couple, by way of their solicitors, invited officials from the Home Office to interview them. The immigration officers did this and when they found there to be inconsistencies in the story that was presented, they then took the opportunity to detain both Sadowska and Malik before the wedding could take place. The pair were given notice that they could be removed from the UK. In the case of Malik, this was because he uh, stayed beyond the expiry of his visa, while for Sadowska, it was because there were reasonable grounds to suspect that she had abused her permanent residency derived from the Citizens' Rights Directive mentioned earlier. In particular, under Article 35 of the Directive, the right can be removed, quote, in the case of abusive rights or fraud, such as marriages of convenience, end quote. That provision was implemented in the UK by virtue of Regulation 19 of the Immigration European Economic Area Regulations 2006. When the case came before the first tier tribunal, it was held that the burden of proof was on the appellants to establish that their marriage was not one of convenience only for immigration purposes. The couple argued that this should not be the case and that the burden of proof should be on the Home Office instead. They appealed on this basis, but both the upper tribunal and the first division of the inner house all disagreed, and so with one final roll of the dice, the case came before the Supreme Court where we will pick it up. Perhaps the key thing to do in this case is to actually be able to define a marriage of convenience in this context, as that will give us some clues as to where the burden of proof lies. In 2014 there was a communication put out by the European Commission that noted a marriage of convenience is one where the predominant purpose relates to the free movement of people. Importantly, it would not be enough for the various benefits associated with immigration and free movement to simply be incidental. They really do have to be the predominant purpose of both parties. The Supreme Court also pointed to other relevant information, such as the duty contained within the directive for member states to help with the entry and residence of the partner of an EU citizen, if there is a, quote, durable relationship duly attested, end quote. Finally, we do also have to remember that there are some pretty obvious human rights concerns at stake here as well, in the form of Article 8, the right to a private and family life, as well as Article 12, which is the right to marriage. The next step was for the justices to look, to look through the process involved in the case itself. 
Under the 2006 regulations, it was certainly permissible for the immigration officers to take steps to remove Sadovska from the UK, given the fact that there were reasonable grounds to suspect that she was abusing her permanent residence by way of a marriage of convenience. However, it is also equally true that she was allowed to launch an appeal where all of the facts and circumstances surrounding the marriage would be investigated in full. Thus the tribunal would have to form its own opinion based on the available evidence as opposed to Sadovska having to prove that her relationship with Mr Malik is a genuine one. Indeed it ought to be up to the Secretary of State to prove that the relationship falls within the definition of a marriage of convenience. Even if they could do this there would still be a requirement to demonstrate that the removal of Ms Sadovska from the UK would be a proportionate response given that she has already lived and worked here for so long. Given that the tribunal did not originally approach the case in this way, the Supreme Court cannot itself make a decision about the couple and their marriage, so the case was remitted back to the first tier tribunal where all of the evidence will be taken into account when deciding if the Secretary of State can prove if there is indeed a marriage of convenience within the scope of the definition derived from the Citizens' Rights Directive. This conclusion meant that the human rights arguments presented were not of any consequence to the final decision. Overall, there are a lot of parallels to be drawn between this case and some of the basic tenets of criminal law where a person is innocent until proven guilty. While Sadovska's case is not being processed through the criminal justice system, there is still an attempt to take some of her rights away from her on the basis of some wrongdoing. With this in mind, it is easy to see why the court reached the conclusion that it did. It is true that marriages of convenience are wrong and that there should be consequences for the people involved. However, it is only fair that the marriage itself is investigated fully as part of the process. It is true that marriages of convenience are wrong and that there should be consequences for the people involved. However, forcing someone to leave the country when they have already lived and worked here for around 10 years is a serious response and it is only fair that the marriage itself is investigated fully as part of the process. Politically, this case is a significant blow to the government's immigration policy, as while sham marriages are not the biggest means of entry to the UK, they do represent an area where a government crackdown might be effective, especially if the necessary requirement is only one of reasonable suspicion. Now that the burden of proof has changed, this will become a lot harder and also more expensive for the Home Office. Whenever a couple are accused of having a sham marriage, after this case the natural response will be prove it, and this will take a not insignificant amount of time and effort. The judgement is also a blow for Prime Minister Theresa May, who was the Home Secretary when the harder line on sham marriages was announced. In order to maintain this going forward, there will now have to be a major investment from the government to account for the additional administrative and legal fees. They may well choose to do this as the government is clearly keen to show that it takes immigration seriously. On the other hand, the government may also try and legislate the problem away, but this would likely prove problematic in the long term as those human rights arguments that were put to one side would certainly come to the fore if other legal options prove difficult or impossible to reconcile with the legislation. Well, thank you very much for tuning into another episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. 
probably ought to apologize because I think I'm probably starting to lose my voice throughout that episode. Um, but thanks for sticking with me. Also, if you get a chance to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, that is very much appreciated. And I look forward to speaking to you next week with another case. That's all from me. Bye.